In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today's passage is about a man who finds the most precious treasure. He finds his Lord and his Savior. But in a sense, it's actually a lot more about God's search for man than man's search from God. It's much more about Christ finding Zacchaeus than Zacchaeus finding Christ. If you think about this whole situation, this event. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, and he's a chief tax collector in Jericho. Right, so it means he's rich because he's a tax collector, but not only is he rich, but he's the chief tax collector. So he's like a successful businessman and like the CEO of his company. He's at the top of the top. But not only that, but he works in the richest city. Jericho is the wealthiest city. Right? So he has it all made. Right? A dignified figure. Right? A lot of wealth and a lot of possessions at his disposal. Now, for some reason, he's curious about this man, Christ, who's passing by. So he decides to do the unthinkable, to climb up into this tree, which is not what any dignified man would do. Right? That's a job that's reserved for peasants or slaves or servants because... It's basically when you, you would send your worker to go grab some figs from the tree and retrieve them back for you, right? You wouldn't do that yourself, right? So this is like the lowest of all jobs, like going to get the crops, basically, right? And so this dignified man is willing to climb up this tree, which is a job that's reserved for peasants or servants, and to make himself look this foolish, right? just because he was searching for someone. Right? But on the other end, God arranged this whole situation. With his wisdom, with his providence, he was passing through Jericho at this specific time. And then there's this critical part in the story. When, when St. Luke records this, he says, that Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran up and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Right? Now, notice this next part. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. So the climax of this event is more about Christ noticing Zacchaeus, even though it was Zacchaeus going to see Christ. But it was Christ who spotted him in the tree. In our life, a lot of times we're searching, we're looking for God, we're seeking Him. Right? But what we forget so often is that God's search for us is so much more active. Right? His love for us is unconditional. And all He desires for us is to find Him and to build a relationship with Him, to enjoy the salvation that He has for us. His Grace Bishop Krolos yesterday during his spiritual day for the servants shared this beautiful quote from St. Ambrose. He said, O Lord, teach me to seek You and reveal Yourself to me when I seek You. For I cannot seek you unless you first teach me, nor find you unless you first reveal yourself to me. Let me seek you in longing and long for you in seeking. Let me find you in love and love you in finding. How beautiful is that to think of the dynamic of this relationship. Right, so just as 
we are seeking Him, it's really a matter of Christ revealing Himself to us. Right? But Zacchaeus simply put himself in the right position. And he had to do a lot of work. Right? He had to put his pride off to the side. Even though people didn't really respect tax collectors, but he was a wealthy man, and he had a reputation for that wealth. And so it required a little bit of humility to say, you know what, I'm willing to look foolish because I want to see Christ. And so he did the work despite what it cost. He knew that it would cost him mockery from the crowd or whatever people might say about him. But he simply put himself in the right position. And as Jesus was passing by, he saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And this is the transformative moment in his life. Whenever Christ invites himself into his house and totally changes him. And figuratively, that, that just means that he invites himself into his heart. And that's what changes us. When Christ abides in us and we abide in him. Are we putting ourselves in the right position so that as Christ is passing by, he looks up, notices us, and he says, Father Joseph, come down, I must enter your heart. Today, I must reside in your heart. Today, I want to dine with you. Are we putting ourselves in that position? A lot of times we want to pray and serve and like walk through the narrow gate and, and the difficult path, but we're struggling. Right? And maybe the desire is not really there. What happens whenever you drive by like one of your favorite restaurants? Let's say you're not really hungry, but you drive by in and out and you smell you know, the burgers and the enticing smell of in and out What happens? All of a sudden, you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. Right? And I remember, like, my mom's probably going to laugh at this, but every time she would start cooking dinner and I'm not even hungry, like, all of a sudden, I would smell like the rozu mulchayya and firaq and like all of this good food. I'm like, oh, I'm starving. Right? And she's like, 10 minutes ago, you weren't hungry at all. Right? But I'm just in a place to, to be influenced by that. Do we put ourselves in a position to be influenced by the presence of God? Do we just leave the psalms playing in the background, or sermons, or spiritual hymns? Do we put ourselves in church just to at least hear the word of God? Right? Or do we surround ourselves by people that can influence us in a positive direction? Right? So much as we are in the right place, God will make sure to enter our hearts. But it has to be intentional. Even if the desire is not there, put yourself in a position for God to cultivate that desire because it's not just going to happen spontaneously. We're such a spontaneous society that we think, no, that's the real way to live. Just go with your impulses and your feelings. But the spiritual life is too important to leave entirely to spontaneity. Father Michael Casey says, prayer is too important to be left to accident. For many of us, the opportunity to spend a substantial time in prayer depends on our willingness to adopt a rule of life in which prayer is built into our daily routine. Is prayer built into our daily routine? Or is it just one of those things that just happens when it happens? When I have time, 
whenever I get a chance, I'll try to fit it in there somewhere. And we need to be honest about that. Since there are only 24 hours in a day, this will mean that some of the other activities by which the hours are filled will have to be abbreviated or left aside. We may have to curtail our sleep, right? which many of you have done this morning. We may have to curtail our sleep. We may need to review the time we spend on social media and entertainment. We may need to bring our workload back into reasonable limits. We cannot hope to deepen our life of union with God unless prayer increases. First in quantity and then almost inevitably in quality. And notice what he prioritizes here because this is so critical. First in quantity and then the quality will come. But we need to give it time. But if we don't give it time, how is the quality of our prayer going to increase and improve? We have to stop hoping to find time for prayer. There's no time to be found. We have to begin to make time for prayer. And this will always be at the expense of alternative pursuits. You go to the monastery and you see the monks that live this beautiful life of solitude and union with God. You ask them, what is the hardest work that you do here? They'll tell you, prayer. You know, you wonder, prayer? Like you guys are the professionals at prayer. Vigils and tasbihah and liturgies and igbayah and this and that. Like you pray day and night. Like you should be pros. This is the hardest thing. Like I thought it was hard for me out in the world. How is it hard for you? Well, because nothing in our spiritual life is under attack from the devil more than this. And you think about as planes are flying in the sky. Right? The only way they can really take off and get to the sky and, and land is that they're always in communication with the control center. Right? And there's like air traffic to control. And you'll see in the movies whenever like, there's some hostage situation or some criminal attack that it compromises their communication with the control center and it's like this scary event, the scary moment and they don't know how to land the plane and you know they can't really navigate. Whenever we separate ourselves from the life of prayer, we have no access to the control center. Right? The control center of our life is God's voice in our conscience. The Spirit dwelling in our conscience. That is what directs us. Without that, we're hopeless. We have nothing. Right? And so that requires work. It requires work because the devil wants to destroy that more than anything else. Think about whenever Jacob wrestled with God. It wasn't like he got this blessing from Christ after going out to a nice dinner with him, enjoyed a filet mignon steak, and then after had dessert, a cup of coffee, and then God blesses him, and he goes back home. That's not how it went. He first had to leave his family behind, and enter a place of solitude. And then he wrestles with this man until the, the daybreak. All day wrestling. Exhausting. And then, when the man couldn't prevail against him, what happens? He breaks his hip. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. While he has a broken hip, he's saying, I'm still not letting go. 
So he sacrifices his social time with his family. He's alone. He's wrestling all day. He's exhausted. He's tired. He has no energy left. He's fighting with this guy. And then this guy breaks his hip. Okay, khalas, bro, you're done. Like, give it up. Let go. Call it a day. No, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Do we stand in prayer with that commitment? Do we stand in prayer with that heart to say, God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Do we hold our agbayas and pray the Psalms with that heart, with that resolution? You know, recently, Marina and I haven't been sleeping much, right? Because we have a cute, precious little bundle of joy that's keeping us awake. And so, a lot of people have been talking to us about this. Abuna Daniel yesterday was telling me about like how it's going. And he says, you know, why aren't you guys sleeping? Like he, he's three months now. I'm like, yeah, Malachi is a little different. And he says, okay, look, try this. There's the saying that sleep begets sleep. Right? And I actually heard it from a different place as well. So like if he's taking naps better throughout the day, then he can sleep better throughout the night. Right? And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Because I think, you know, Marina's read like a hundred books and she actually mentioned that a while ago. Like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it reminded me of the reality of the spiritual life. Right? Prayer begets prayer. A lot of times, we spent the whole day distracted out in the world. And then we expect as soon as we get home, we're just going to flip the prayer switch on and we're just going to spend this like romanticized time in prayer. But God is not on our mind or our thoughts or our hearts throughout the whole day. The time we spend with God in our day-to-day life, and our activities, the informal time feeds the formal time. And vice versa. When we have the formal time, when I'm sitting, I'm reading His Word. I'm letting Him speak to me. I can hear His voice. And I'm praying my Iqbaya. I'm, I'm listening to His voice. Then, when I go out and work, school, interacting with people, then God's on my mind. And I'm praying. And then, there's a relationship. Don't tell me you're in a relationship with someone you don't talk to. Right? That's not salvation. Salvation is about a relationship and communicating with someone. Again, a lot of times, we leave it to our emotions and our impulses... And we think it's just, you know, something we do when we feel like it. And then we pray, and it's not this glamorous experience. And then we say, okay, it's boring. You know, my heart's not really in it. And you know, society tells you, you know, do what you feel like doing, right? Do what feels right. And so, if we allow prayer to develop solely on feelings, it will never develop. Father Michael Keynes, says, Sometimes, especially at the beginning, spending time with God is delightful. Right? You might feel the joy of spending time with God in the very beginning of your spiritual life. Paradoxically, as we advance in the spiritual life, prayer often becomes drier and less appealing. We're inclined to find alternative activities that permit us to abandon, abbreviate, or defer the solitary time spent in personal prayer. Right? The moment it gets... A little boring. Okay, I said our father. <laughs> it's been enough. You know, I spent my two minutes. Let me see what's going on on my Instagram page. More often, this isn't a deliberate choice we make. 
that will bind us for the rest of our life. Usually, it's an option only for today. When there's more work, when the weather is unpleasant, and when I'm not in the mood, when there's something enjoyable to do. But then the same situation recurs tomorrow. And before you know it, personal prayer has begun to slide out of my usual life, and it becomes an exception rather than the rule. Right? The exception is if I really persevere in prayer. Uh, that no longer becomes the rule. If we're serious in our commitment to God, we need to shore up that commitment with regular prayer. That's all it is. It's about our devotion. It's about our love to Him. Remember, one of the youth was telling me, like, struggling to pray throughout his day in school. Like, he was in, in college, and uh, he loves praying his igbeya, but, you know, he doesn't want to just, you know, stand in, in the middle of the library with his igbeya or even like sit off to the side because it's like a little awkward and he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. So he told me what he decided to do just to kind of screen what he's doing, which is good. You should always do that with your father confession. So he says, Abuna, I just go into the restroom and I close the door behind me in one of the corners and I just stand with my egg I know it's kind of awkward because I'm in a restroom, but <laughs> I feel like I'm just alone with God, right? And I'm not really drawing attention to myself. No one can see me. And, and, and like I feel like I can really spend time with God. Like, that's great. <laughs> I wish we all had that heart, right? Because of His love, right? You may not necessarily have to sneak into one of the stalls somewhere, but find a place where you can make an altar for God. Father Jacques Philippe says, here is a point worth noting. Prayer should not be treated as something exceptional, done at a time snatched with difficulty from other activities, but should become a habit, part of the normal rhythm of our lives, so that its place is never questioned, even for a single day. This will foster faithfulness to prayer, which is essential. Life is shaped by rhythms, right? Life is shaped by rhythms. The rhythm of heartbeat and breathing, the rhythm of day and night, of meals, of weeks, and so on. Prayer should become a daily event as vital to us as the basic rhythms of existence. It should become the breathing of our souls. Is prayer a rhythm in our life? The same way that I eat every day. The same way that you know, I, I am accustomed to checking my emails every day or looking at my stocks every day or whatever it is. It's just a rhythm, a part of my life. It's the norm. There's another occasion. Uh, this is a different youth. <laughs> he was on a retreat. And you know, there are these retreats with a bunch of different youth are always like big social events. And it's hard for you to kind of like step away and, and find some time to pray alone with God. Right? And this retreat was in Big Bear. It was in the middle of the winter and it's freezing. So I noticed this myself. At the end of the night when everybody was playing and socializing, and, and like there's a lot of noise and chaos, this youth just 
walked out through the back. It's freezing outside. And like stood off to the side with his igbaya praying. And I just noticed it as I was walking out to grab something from the car. And it just resonated with me. See how someone is truly in a relationship with a person he loves. Right? And you see this whenever we're on retreats or any vacations, husband's always calling his wife, checking in, how are you? Even if just for the moment. Right? You may not, if you're really busy, you may not really have time to have a chat for an hour. But the wives are calling, husbands are calling. That's what a relationship is all about. Right? Not just, you know, at the end of the day, Father, Son, our Father, heart in heaven, and then, okay, he's sleep. And then they say, okay, I, I, I checked off that checklist. If we pray for just a second, but if it's from, a bottom, from the bottom of our heart, that still counts. I'm not saying that there's a problem in the brevity of our prayers. The, the right-hand thief gained salvation by just a word. Right? So there's a lot to gain just from a moment of prayer. Right? But as we mature, are we growing in prayer? Are we growing in a, like just as a couple? They know each other more because they talk to each other more and more. They go on more dates. They spend more time together. Right? If you want to follow in the footsteps of Zacchaeus today, who totally changes life, it all starts by putting yourself in a position for God to see you and to call you that He may enter your heart. I pray that God gives us that desire, that He implants in us the longing for Him, to seek Him, that He may reveal Himself to us, and to Him is due all glory forever. Amen.